Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. A recent poll shows that things are bad right now for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Like, really bad. And the controversies that hang over his government, from public perception on pipelines to alleged scandals involving SNC-Lavalin and leaked government documents, could continue to plague him until Canadians mark their ballots this fall. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. Doesn't it seem as though there's no shortage of problems that the Trudeau government is trying to balance as of late? Canadians are in the extraordinary position of watching the Prime Minister and his former Attorney General contradict each other about a very serious legal matter. Jody Wilson-Raybould... Opposition MPs were hopeful as they headed in to launch a last-ditch attempt for a parliamentary probe into the SNC-Lavalin affair. Former Cabinet Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould says she has more proof that there was political interference in the SNC-Lavalin affair. We welcome the Ethics Commissioner's uh, uh, investigation. This is... Well, the Prime Minister spins an incredible story, and indeed it is incredible because it is not true. Let's take a tale of the tape, shall we? When are you going to give us our rights back? When are you going to start giving a shit about who we are as people and not seeing us just for our land? He's not doing anything to help us or give us actual affordable housing. We do recognize that there is a factor around money laundering and uh, real estate tax evasion that is becoming a significant challenge. Dirty money's becoming a significant challenge. <laughs> only, only because he's now paying attention to it. Canadian taxpayers will soon own a pipeline. Ottawa announcing this morning it is buying Kinder Morgan's Trans Mountain Pipeline. The United We Roll convoy says it's made its way to Ottawa to personally send a message to the federal government. Oil and gas workers are demanding the Trudeau Liberals do more to get pipelines in the ground. Why does this Prime Minister have it in for Canada's energy sector? These mounting blunders are costing the Liberals big time in the polls. In fact, a recent Ipsos Reid poll shows that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau now has less support in this country than Donald Trump does south of the border. If an election was held as of the end of March, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer would clinch victory with 40% of the decided popular vote. Trudeau would only get 30%. So how is it that it seems the wheels have so completely come off the Trudeau government? So to help us sift through the controversy and separate the political spin from what the real issues are is Mercedes Stevenson. She's the Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. 
Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's approval rating is so low, according to a new Ipsos Reid poll, that if an election was held tomorrow, the federal conservatives would win. And it seems to be a snowballing of both new and old blunders that are taking this government down. It's certainly a challenge for them. They're trying to juggle a lot. And this happens sometimes to governments sort of at the end of their first mandate. They come in, uh, they're celebrated, everyone's excited because it's a change. And Canadians historically give governments, you know, one or two kicks at the can before they're out. And so every time it's someone new and the pendulum swings back, there's all this hope, there's big promises. And then the reality of governing kicks in and some of those promises aren't met or expectations are not met. Or in the case of this government, they run into a scandal. and they run into that scandal as they're dealing with things like promises to First Nations, promises about pipelines, promises about the environment, and they all start conflicting. Uh, so it's it's happening a little earlier than we might have seen with past governments, but this is the struggle heading into the election. On the one hand, they have the advantage of being the incumbent, which means they're much more likely to get elected because people choose the devil they know over the devil they don't. But on the other hand, they seem to be struggling with some of these issues earlier than we might expect, which would be more of a second mandate issue. When the story of Trudeau's government and the SNC-Lavalin scandal broke, I honestly wondered if it would eventually fade out, if people would forget the outrage that they initially felt after one or two news cycles, as stories tend to do. But this has absolutely not been the case with the SNC-Lavalin scandal story, has it? No, it it just keeps going. And many of these wounds are actually self-inflicted by the Liberals, which is part of what makes it so strange. And their unwillingness to allow people to talk has fed a perception that whatever it is must be really, really bad. We don't actually know what it is because we haven't seen any evidence of it. We heard Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony. It was certainly very disturbing. For a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people within the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion in my role as the Attorney General of Canada in an inappropriate effort to secure a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. Gerald Butts came back and he actively, you know, effectively refuted some of what she said. About this idea that someone tried to directly interfere with the DPP, I know the people involved, I worked with them closely, I know the file a little bit. It just doesn't ring like something they would do on this or any other matter. Then she said that's, you know, essentially she wanted to respond, the implication being perhaps it's not true. But the Liberals just have not managed to get a grasp on this. They haven't managed to convince people that there's nothing there. They have not had an apologetic tone, which a lot of political advisors will tell you is very important very early on. That didn't happen. They claimed 9,000 jobs were at stake. They've not managed to produce a shred of evidence for why that's true, uh, including the company themselves saying, well, that's really not what we said. And that's a problem for them because while people understand I think the desire to save jobs, they're wondering what's going on here. And and for the Liberals, it's problematic because there's been past allegations of sort of cronyism and corruption. And it's seen as the old rhyme, who you know in the PMO, that's what gets you access. And that's how people see it. And they don't like that. And we see that reflected in the polls where Justin Trudeau is suffering because of this. Now, does that stay? Canadians don't tend to vote based on scandals, but it can feed into their overall perception or frustration with a political leader. 
state or the economy tends to be one of the, the top things they vote on. And if they feel it's stable and they have a job and there's money in their pocket, um, then things are pretty good. But it certainly has been problematic for him in terms of public perception. And there's no sign of it stopping, you know, the politicization potentially of a, the appointment process for a Supreme Court justice, something that's supposed to be totally independent and highly sensitive and confidential. And then you have the Mark Norman case. And I'm looking out my office window right now at the courtroom where Mark Norman is today. Um, and that's Canada's former second in command of the military, who was charged after allegedly leaking documents to a journalist. And yet there seems to be no desire by this PMO to investigate who leaked about the Supreme Court justice. I've asked them about this twice. No response. Uh, they just keep saying it wasn't them. So that's where you start to look as well about things where people see questions that form a pattern, and that affects perception as well. Coming up later in this episode. Are you spending time on the ground? They didn't do those things. And, and that's been really problematic for them. The feds have been plagued by controversy surrounding Canada's energy sector. Might sound strange, but do they even care about gaining support in Alberta, where that controversy is red hot? Our chat with Mercedes Stevenson will continue. You're listening to This Is Why, a national radio show and podcast from Global News. Download and subscribe online now. Mercedes, a moment ago you brought up Mark Norman, and strangely enough, there seems to be a link between those two stories, the story of the SNC-Lavalin scandal and the story about Mark Norman. Not a literal link, per se, but a connection of public perspective. Jody Wilson-Raybould said that she was pressured by the Prime Minister's office in regards to the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Now, that's created speculation that it's possible the feds could have also interfered in this other high-profile case, that of Mark Norman. Let's start, though, with just the foundations of this story. Who is Mark Norman? So uh, Mark Norman is a vice admiral. He was second in command of the Canadian Forces, and a lot of people thought he'd one day be Canada's top commander. And there was this stunning allegation that he had leaked cabinet documents revealing that, that the Liberal government, which had just been elected, was going to review um, whether or not a shipyard in Quebec should get this contract to rebuild Navy supply ships because the Navy quite literally had no supply ships, which means they couldn't bring fuel or food or ammunition to Canadian ships abroad. And obviously that affects the Canadian Navy and those sailors. Um, and they were worried that perhaps the Conservatives had just handed this contract out because it was pre-election into an area where they needed seats. So there's this allegation, it was Mark Norman, and there's no smoking gun, so no one's really sure why the allegation is it's Mark Norman. Then there's a number of emails that show he's upset about it. He's angry with Irving, the big shipbuilding company um, that wants this reviewed. There's sort of speculation about are the Irvings trying to use their influence with key cabinet ministers like Scott Bryson and Dominic LeBlanc, who are from areas where Irving is very powerful in Atlantic Canada. Um, and the next thing you know, the Prime Minister is asked, it was actually a a question from me uh, that was given to a fellow reporter there, what was going to happen with Mark Norman? And he says he's going to be in court. Well, like, that is unprecedented. The prime minister is saying someone's going to be in court who hasn't been charged by the police yet. Um, and as you can imagine, Mark Norman's lawyers are saying that's interference. This is all complicated by the fact that there is a bit of a smoking gun with somebody who is 
allegedly been seen to delivering documents in a brown envelope to a lobbyist here in Ottawa. Those same documents, um, who's just finally been charged by the RCMP in the last few weeks. And, and this happened a couple of years ago. Um, so that again raised the question, well, why was Mark Norman ever charged if there wasn't any hard proof that they could see. We'll find out more about this in court, but it was seen by many in the military as the government um, unhappy with a contract, wanting to keep the Irvings happy because they're very important for their business, and that Mark Norman was made into the fall guy. Um, For all we know, he may have leaked the documents, he may not have. We're not sure, but there was an awful lot of big question marks around that case, Uh, and Mark Norman was not somebody who had a reputation for being a big leaker. He was not someone who had a reputation for playing around in classified documents. He was seen as very straight and narrow, so it really came as a tremendous surprise to many in the military community, and he has retained Marie Hennen, who many of you will remember from the Gian Gameshi case, very high-profile lawyer, and she has alleged that there was high-level interference in his case, and it is scheduled to go to court during the election, and key people like the former Treasury Board President, Scott Bryson, who suddenly uh, not only decided he wanted to get out of Cabinet and not run again, but resigned as an MP, is going to be on the stand. They want to call Jerry Butts. They want to call the Prime Minister. They're going to try to show every leak this government has ever engaged in to prove that leaking is normal in Ottawa. You can bet that what's happened here with the Supreme Court recently will be an issue because they'll say, well, look, here's a leak and they didn't call the RCMP. Why not? And so that is going to be a big issue for the government, both because of the allegations, because of sort of the lack of evidence that we've seen publicly, and because of the timing and who they want to call. It'll be during a very sensitive time. It seems to me that the individuals whom the Liberals have put in opposition of themselves, particularly as of late, are people who the general public actually favor over the feds. I get the impression that these scandals are not playing out the way that Trudeau intended, that the vilification of these people is something that the public is is not buying into. Public opinion seems to be falling in favor of Wilson Raybould or Mark Norman, who actually had a publicly funded GoFundMe campaign to help him with legal and personal expenses that has now topped $100,000, which I think is a very clear example of public support. Yeah, it makes it harder for the government because these are people who the public are seeing as sympathetic or credible. And of course, that's not universal. I hear from lots of people who don't like Jody Wilson-Raybould and they think that she's out to take down the Liberals and she has leadership ambitions. Um, so there, there's varying viewpoints, but you have people who are, are likable, who come across as credible, who don't have history uh, of corruption or uh, scheming. And that's why when this sort of thing comes out and, you know, the, the way that the government has chosen to handle some of these cases in some ways makes these people even more sympathetic. Um, and that's that's a problem for them because Mike Duffy, if you remember that scandal, was not a particularly sympathetic character. Pamela Wallen was not a particularly sympathetic character, even though they've been very high-profile Canadians. Same with Patrick Brazeau. Um, and so you know, Canadians were were angry with the government, but they were also angry with the people on the other side. This is a very different scenario in how Canadians are responding, and we see this in the polling on Jody Wilson-Raybould or Mark Norman, uh, because they see them more as characters who um, they believe have a cause or they doubt a negative ambition with um, in a way that we didn't see in some of the previous scandals where you just had much less sympathetic individuals who were at the centre of the spotlight. You know, you said earlier that Canadians don't tend to vote on scandal. So with the sort of nuances and details of these scandals aside, it seems as what's really created here 
is an overall public perception of the Liberal government that's leaving a real foul taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I think there's no province that appears to be more discontent than the province of Alberta, especially as it relates to pipelines and what they say has been a lack of support for their energy sector. Uh, yeah, my home province. <laughs> I hear about this whenever I go home. There's a sense in Alberta that they are frustrated. They feel they've been abandoned. They feel they are looked down on. They feel that they are treated as second-class citizens. And that frustration is growing, and it's it's very real. And we see that in the polls with Western alienation. And the federal government is unwilling to acknowledge that there's Western alienation. I mean, we've had ministers on the West Block, whenever we ask them about this, they basically say it's made up by certain politicians out West. If you spend any time on the ground there, it's not made up by those politicians. It's very real. It doesn't mean everybody feels that way, but it certainly is exists. I lived in Alberta for geez, seven, eight years, and you're right, it is totally ingrained in their culture. Yeah, I mean, I remember I remember the National Energy Program stickers, which tells you how old I am. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it was, it, that's part of it, right? There's a memory of it. There's a memory of bad things happening with the federal government and energy. And so that tendency to go there immediately is much higher because it did happen before. And that's something I don't think they've done a very good job of dealing with. Part of it is likely that they know they're not going to win a lot of seats in Alberta. So why spend your energy there? They say over and over again, well, we, we bought a pipeline, which is true, but it happened very late in the game, and one pipeline is not going to bring back the between 80 and 100,000 jobs that were lost in Alberta. And I think it was the slowness to react, in part, that really fed into that, that people were saying, like, don't you understand what is happening out here? And it hasn't been helped that this is a government that says they want to balance the environment and the economy, but people in Alberta are suspicious. They think, like, no, you don't. You, want, I've heard this lots of times from lots of people. They want to get rid of oil and gas completely. Uh, I don't know if that government wants that. I can tell you there's certainly people in it who don't want that, and I'm convinced of that from having talked with them. There may be others who do, but it's certainly a struggle for them because they've not come across as convincing Albertans that they care, which is a huge part of it. It's not even the action itself. It's, do you sound like you care? Do you sound like you get it? Are you spending time on the ground? They didn't do those things, and and that's been really problematic for them, and it's sort of so advanced now with the alienation out there that it'll be very tough for the Liberals to get it back, but they may just write it off going into an election campaign and say we're not going to win there anyhow. Well, speaking of alienation, Trudeau also now seems to be alienating his First Nations supporters, especially after what he said at a Liberal fundraiser when protesters questioned him on why the government wasn't acting on mercury poisoning. Hi, Trudeau. People in Grassy Narrows are suffering from mercury poisoning. You committed to addressing this crisis. Thank you very much for your donation tonight. I really appreciate it. And and as we know, the Liberal Party is filled with different perspectives and different opinions, and we respect them all and our commitment. If it was your family that's been waiting for 500 days, if your family was suffering from mercury poisoning, what would you do? If it was your family, would you accept it? Would you accept 500 days? Yeah, so there's a First Nation called Grassy Narrows, and they've suffered terribly from mercury poisoning, and there's been independent studies that have shown that. And the federal government has acknowledged that, so has the Ontario government, and they promised to do more to help them, but a lot of the funding hasn't really flowed yet. So Justin Trudeau was speaking at a dinner in downtown Toronto, uh, a lot of a Bay Street crowd, the King Edward Hotel, which is a luxury hotel there, and it was a Laurier Club event, which means you have to be a high-end donor. You have to have donated at least 50 
$1,500 that year to the party in order to attend. And as he's speaking, protesters unfurled a banner from Grassy Narrows First Nation and said, when will you do more to help Grassy Narrows? And Trudeau kind of laughed and said, thank you for your donation. Thanks for coming. Thanks for your donation. Um, and that just picked up like wildfire on Twitter and on other places. Uh, First Nations groups watching that saying they thought that it was condescending. They thought that it was smug. Um, you know, here you have an event for very wealthy donors and you have people protesting what's happening to a very poor First Nation. And they just felt that that was really a tone deaf comment to make. Certainly for some Indigenous groups, they're quite upset about this. And that's a problem for him politically, as well as just the fact that, that he he said it because he came in on these promises of reconciliation with First Nations, respect for them. So if he's seen to be saying something that's flippant in front of a wealthy Bay Street crowd, that is not the image that they want to be projecting. How has Trudeau been doing on the rest of his First Nations promises? Because he did make so many, especially in regards to reconciliation when he first took office. Do we have any gauge of how he's actually been performing? It's been a bit of a mixed bag. They've made some progress on the boil water advisories on a number of nations to have potable water, but not as many as they had indicated they would. They promised it, you know, for example, implement everything in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's recommendations. That hasn't happened. There's a lot of First Nations groups who will tell you they feel the intentions are good, but they don't feel that the product has been that good. And part of that is simply just a factor of it is such a significant and ingrained issue that needs to be dealt with that thinking you could deal with it in four years might have been unrealistic. But there's also frustration, and there's frustration that they feel perhaps some of those promises did not have the funding or the action behind them. They're upset, some First Nations groups, over what happened with Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. So I think that right now they're in a spot where a lot of Indigenous groups are starting to question the commitment. They think it's still there, and the other thing here that's helping them is that many of those Indigenous groups don't feel, for example, that the Conservatives are committed in the same way. So they still see the Liberals as the best option, even if they're not happy with their performance. But of course, it's not the election yet, so all of this could change. Mercedes, you're brilliant. Thank you so much for chatting with me. No, thank you, though. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was fun. Last night, I lacked respect towards them, and I apologize for that. It is Prime Minister Trudeau has apologized to that First Nations protester who confronted him at the Liberal fundraiser. From time to time, uh, I'm in situations where uh, people are, are uh, you know, expressing concerns or protesting a particular thing and I always try to be respectful and always try to uh, uh, engage with them in a positive way. That's how I believe uh, democracy should function and I didn't do that last night. He added she will be refunded the $1,500 she would have had to spend to buy a ticket to the event. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. It's a national radio show and a podcast. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts from. Give us a rating and a review, plus tell your friends about the show as well. We're on Twitter at This Is Why, and you can always send us an email, thisiswhy at curiouscast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.